either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. All winding down the last few remaining days of summer. Slipping away, but uh, at least where we are, it's still been summer-like, and we're digging it. And we're digging at least one of the movies this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we're going to start in outer space. Astronaut Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. Ad Astra. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I remain fully committed to the lawful completion of the mission. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. The Earth puts hopes in him. And now, it's fate. It's on me. We have a job to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. Missy, we're gonna sing that. Roy! Roy, Roy, Roy! <laughs> Starbucks double shot espresso drink. Bring on the day. Roy, Roy, Roy! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, what was that a commercial for? <laughs> I uh, mean, Bud Light or something? No, I don't even it know. It was for coffee or something. Yeah. I don't know. That was funny. <laughs> Roy, Roy, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's a tribute, it's a credit to this movie that at not one time during it did I think that. <laughs> and start singing the Roy song to Eye of the Tiger. They should put that on, they should quote us and put that on the poster. Never makes you think of the Roy song from that commercial that we can't remember. <laughs> We're getting off track here. Really like this movie. Ad Astra, first of all, Ad Astra in Latin means to the stars. That's where the title comes from. And it's set in the near future. That looks a lot like today, except they've got all this technology for space travel. And uh, one of the main things is they go they go to the moon a lot. Going to the moon is like a commercial riding coach. They've got it set up like that at the airport. And it's, it's, there's so much traffic on the moon that it has T-shirt vendors and drink stands and also war zones. There's turf wars. And that sort of undercuts the text on the screen at the very beginning that says it's the near future, it's a time of hope and conflict. Um, and they're trying to juggle both. But uh, they have a lot more conflict all of a sudden when these strange electrical power surges start popping up and creating havoc all over the globe and casualties. And many, many thousands of people continue to die every time one of these surges pops up. And the military thinks they have found where it may be coming from, and they think the culprit may be this Lima project, a deep space probe that was sent out decades ago to look for intelligent alien life, and it was helmed by Roy Roy Roy's father, (laughs) (laughs) Clifford 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 McBride. (laughs) Of course, Roy is played by Brad Pitt, and his father, who was just a Buzz Aldrin-type hero, Mm -hmm. uh, astronaut, 
he was manning that mission, and he hasn't been heard from in all these years. And that's Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, yes. And so Roy is also a decorated astronaut, not to the level that his father was. So Roy gets brought in on these top-secret briefings, and basically he is tasked with going out, trying to see if, number one, his father is still alive because they think he may be, and if so, what's going on? Is he to blame for these electrical surges, sending antimatter or whatever, uh, that are playing havoc with things in the rest of the universe, including Earth? So you've got a lot of psychological stuff set up right there. I mean, you've got the daddy issues, and that's what the so much of this movie is about. But mm-hmm. that, that's that's very flippant to say, because mm-hmm. it's so much better than that. Well, it's also so much of what a lot of movies are about. I mean, if it's done well, it's a, it can be a very powerful theme in a film. That's right. And it's very meditative. And it's, it's funny, I was talking this morning to one of the morning radio shows that we call, and as, as soon as I said that, meditative, one of the hosts goes, Oh, I'm bored, <laughs> you know. And I know that sounds very boring maybe to some people but it's not uh, well i think uh, you know one of the things that came up on the tv gig this morning is this this idea which we had as well that when you watch the trailer see you're thinking to yourself three hours yeah you know and the fact is it's not it's boring not. it moves at a quick clip it's two hours long mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's you know kind of a popcorn <laughs> muncher and still being a, like a really great solid it, film it is funny because i totally understood what he was saying i thought mm-hmm. it was going to be three hours too as well uh, but it's not. Maybe it's because of the the movies that you've seen like this, and it's right. just you you think it is this this deep meditative secret of the universe thing, and uh, it's not so much the secret of the universe; it's the secret of one man's soul and and so much self reflection. Because Brad Pitt is as good as he has ever been, mm-hmm. and it's a very solitary performance. There are other people in this movie, but man, he just commands it, and he has so many scenes by himself close-ups, just really acting with his maybe facial expressions mm-hmm. because his Roy is a man of very few words. In fact, he is he's legendary in his his team for having lack of emotion. His legend is that his his heart rate has never gotten above 80, even in the most times of the most crisis. He just keeps it cool, which is good on one hand, but also he basically shows no emotion right. about anything. Mm-hmm. And we learn a lot in flashback about his estranged wife, uh, which who's played by Liv Tyler, who I don't believe has any dialogue whatsoever. Wow. She's just in flashback. But they're effective flashbacks. And they're placed well. You know, James Gray is the um, writer, the co-writer and director. And he really there is some time shifts, but they're very subtle. They're very graceful. They're not whiplash-inducing, yeah. and I think they work well. And there's a lot of voiceover from uh, Brad Pitt. He has to take these, as he moves through these missions, he has to take these mandatory psych evaluations. So he has to sit there, and uh, it reminded me of Blade Runner. Right. He has to answer certain questions and say how he's feeling and things like that. So you start to get a look inside him and the cracks in this in this facade of absolutely no emotion and of course so much of it is tied to the feelings that he had for losing his father yeah. to complete isolation to complete just no communication whatsoever so many years ago so th- there there's a lot going on there and it's handled i think very well and one of the reasons its psychological very introspective nature it, it goes down so easily is because then it's punctuated by there are some sequences of real breathless excitement, suspense, and really one, I would say, that you might even call a, a terror sequence, mm-hmm. uh, scary. 
and there, and when it's set in space, right away you think, well, how's it going to look? Right. Well, this looks fantastic. Oh, uh, well, the cinematographer. Cinematographer is the same guy that did um, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. My lord. He also did Let the Right One yeah. In, which looks fantastic, and some others. So it looks great. But it's not, I think maybe the standard right now, at least in the last few years, has been gravity. Yeah. You know, it looks so incredible. And this, this is up there, and I would recommend the IMAX version. I certainly would. But it, it's not as showy. Mm-hmm. You know, gravity, for as as stupendous as it was, it was a little showy. It's like, yeah, we know what we've got yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this. <laughs> this is not that way so much. In fact, so much of it is in close-up on, on Brad Pitt's face and maybe a certain reflection off his helmet, uh, off the visor on his helmet, things like that. You know, I think, too, it, you know, First Man looked great, especially when they got to the moon. And it also boasted a, a lead performance by somebody who showed very little emotion. It was mm-hmm. very, so, you know, but I think the fact that this one is a fantasy, is, is a fictional fantasy, allows it to get a little bit more sort of outside of his head. And, and you know what I mean? Uh, it infuses the film with a lot more energy. Yeah, and it's, even though it's very personalized with this one man and his relationship to his father, they still get into these themes of masculinity and holding in this anger. Mm. And where does this rage come from that they have to keep keep a lid on? It's a very masculine film, uh, even though you have the... Uh, Ruth Nega shows up in a couple Love of her. scenes. She's great. God, she's, she's always great. good. And she's got a very important role. It's not a big role. It's not a lot of, not a lot of scenes, but it's a very nice plot turn. That uh, that she has when she turns up. So, but it's this is not a one man show, but it's darn close to it. Uh, he he really just commands the screen, and he's already had a great year with mm-hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in yeah. Hollywood. But I would really be getting that new tux ready because <laughs> even though you just say you you yeah, heard he has, this morning, he uh, he has he has said in interviews that he's not going to do the uh, Oscar campaigning. You know, and and people have said that before. Of course, we wouldn't really know. But but the whole sort of awards season campaigning to get the win, it it takes a lot out of people. And there are people who have said people like um, Ian McKellen Mm -hmm. when he was nominated for Gods and Monsters that they were saying he he avoided the whole, you know, dog and pony show and he didn't get the win. And and so people put a lot of stock into this. And he said he's just not going to do it. And of course, he's done it before. He's been nominated before. And he just says he believes that it, it cheapens the actor's experience with the role. Of course, he has achieved a, a place of status where he can do that. Right. Uh, he certainly has that power and that clout, and if he wants to do that, more power to him. But I think he certainly will get the the award's attention for both of those roles, right. actually. And, you know, this movie has elements we've certainly seen before. I mean, when he's going on this long journey tracking down his father, I mean, his father could be Colonel Kurtz. Uh-huh. You know, he could be just pulling one of those. Uh, there's a lot of 2001, but then... Really, any movie that is like this, you're going to see. I don't see how they can get away right. from having things that remind you of 2001. Oh, yeah. But uh, that definitely does here. So you see those familiar elements, but I think uh, Gray does a great job of carving out his own little niche in it, taking something so expansive out there floating in the middle of space yeah. and, and making it also so personal and so introspective as this uh, man is trying to come to grips with basically living in a quote-unquote space devoid of emotion, which serves him so well in one capacity and does him so much damage in another. And it's, it's, it works well on a lot of levels just for the spectacle, the sheer spectacle of seeing it on the screen. But I think it's also very human and very touching and definitely would recommend checking out Ad Astra to the Stars. 
Next up, we're seeing TV moving to the big screen. The continuing story of the Crowley family, wealthy owners of a large estate in the English countryside in the early 20th century. The movie version, you say, because I can't say it unless I make that accent. Downton Abbey. The king and queen are coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. I need your help, Carson. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. Your Majesties, welcome to Downton Abbey. <laughs> the Downton Abbey. <laughs> Sorry. You know what? The more often you say it, the less you sound like that guy from Spy, and the more you sound like Schwarzenegger. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've got to work on that. <laughs> anyway, here's the thing. We have to just fess up right away. We have never seen an episode of the TV we series. We have not. So, we thought it was best to take... One of our other writers from MadWolf.com, who's a big Downton Abbey fan, with us. We actually, she actually wrote. Christy Robb, she wrote the she review wrote the for the review. website, and she, right before she had just finished, polished off, rewatching all six seasons before she went to the show. That's Holy her level of commitment. Mo- that is commitment. And, you know, she's not the only one. It has tons of fans. Tons of fans. It is apparently, I'm told, the. The best reviewed television show in history, which I thought more what? than Breaking Bad, really? Apparently, it is okay. better than The Sopranos, better than you know yeah. all of them. Okay, well, Ash versus Evil Dead, even <laughs> <laughs> even Sanford and Son. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: we just thought, look, we needed that perspective, and it turns out she was the perfect one to write the review because. It's very clear, number one, that they made this movie for the fans. Yes. And if you like the TV series, this is for you. You're probably going to love it, as she did. Yeah. If you come to it as a newbie, then it's tough. They do give you some recaps. Just a little. to get you up to speed. Yeah, just a little. Right. And, and part of that, I mean, part of the, the issue, I think, with bringing this to the big screen for anybody who was unfamiliar with the series is that there have to be 300 people in this <laughs> cast. There is a massive family and then an equally massive staff. Yeah, so if you, if you come to it new as we did, you may be a little bit lost and also a little bit bored because you're not invested in it. But I give the, the movie credit, like, okay, we're not worried about it. He's, they're not worried about us. No. They're here for the fans, and yeah. God bless them for it. They, yeah. even bring, they bring back all the cast. They bring back one of the main directors from the TV series, uh, Michael Engler. He's the director here. And one of the things I did appreciate, I always love that, that oh-so-British droll repartee that this movie is lousy with. Oh, especially everything Maggie Smith says. Uh, she's hilarious, and you know, and and there's a lot of it that uh, a lot of other characters have a lot of of meteor, you know, roles that push the plot forward. But the whole time, you just want Maggie Smith to come back on on stage yeah, on screen. It's mainly uh, Maggie Smith and Penelope Wilton. Oh my God, they're hilarious. Who is another face that you see in a lot of those British movies, and she's always good. Of she course, is. Maggie Smith is an institution. Yeah, but yeah, the way they just cut each other down so dryly. As uh, the big event here, of course, is that the royals are coming. That's right. The king and queen of England are going to spend one night at Downton Abbey as they tour the countryside. And so they have to put on a little luncheon, a little dinner, and then a parade. And then they go to the ball in the Mm -hmm. uh, house 
quote, next door, quote. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is there's a, it begins a power struggle because, of course, the Royals come with all their servants already. Yes. They have their team, and the team at Downton Abbey doesn't take too kindly yeah, to Yeah, so the, the family at Down the Crawleys are kind of sort of excited, sort of irritated that they're going to have to do this and, and all the work that it's going to entail. The staff is elated. It's actually quite adorable how excited... 99% of them uh, are about the idea of getting to serve the king and queen of England. Uh-huh. It's really very cute and how that all plays out. And then the la- what they find out the day before the royals get there is that the crown brings their own right. staff. And right. so they're all being pushed around. And and so the way they uh, deal with that is pretty funny. And there are a couple of other side plots that help to keep to get the film outside the house and give you a little bit of, of diversion here and there. It's not like it's a bad film at all. It's definitely not. I just feel like, as somebody who was completely new to this environment, it's, it was hard for me to maintain a lot of interest. And then also, uh, one of the husbands, Matthew Good, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he shows up, and, and I'm sure when he shows up, everybody is supposed to go, like, I, I imagine that we're supposed to be very excited that he's finally there. I was excited that he was finally there because I actually like him very much. I think he's a good actor. Uh-huh. He's in five minutes of the movie. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I bet this means more to everybody else in this room than it does to me. But it does lose you, I think, a bit if you are not familiar with the show. Well, think about that. We've talked about it from the total other side of this predicament with the Marvel movies. I mean, the way the Marvel wrapped up their, their whole franchise, at least this, this uh, phase of it, you have to come with it with a certain amount of knowledge. Yeah. There's a lot of characters yeah, there, yeah, there and a lot yeah. of backstory and a lot of investment that's that we had, and a lot of people had even more than we did. And and this has its own group of fans. Absolutely, of course it does. Yeah. Of course it does. So I think that I, I think it's great that they're doing that. Just saying, look, this is where we're going, and we're not out to try to convert you if you're just coming in now. Right. This is for our fans. It's I think also, that's great. It's also gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a it's a really beautifully filmed costume drama. And man, there's a lot of costume changes. Yeah. It's like a Reba McIntyre show. There's a <laughs> lot of costume changes. Um, and they make jokes about that, too. I mean, it, it, you know, it looks great. The cast is very solid top mm-hmm. to bottom. Yeah. And the main, bottom line, if you like the TV series, I think you're going to love this. The Downton Abbey. How was that? Yeah, it was closer. <laughs> Okay, I guess we have to talk about this one now. Uh, Rambo must confront his past and unearth his ruthless combat skills to exact revenge in a final mission, and all we hope so. It's Rambo Last Blood. Rambo was the best. I finally came home. Uncle John! To defend the only family I've ever known. Must really want this girl. All she's got is me. She's coming home. You started this. I'll end it. It's been a while since I hated a movie as much as I hated Rambo Last Blood. Yeah. You got a early sort of premonition with the trailer. You did, yeah. You thought, boy, is this where it's going? Is this what it's doing? And, uh, oh, it's even more than that. You uh, know, and it's not as if we hate 
the franchise. Uh, you know, right. I can't say that of those sort of, you know, 80s action heroes that hurtle themselves into old geriatric film versions. Rambo, John Rambo's not my favorite, but I don't hate this series. And I think one of the things that it did very interestingly was to present this idea that I think you see often in in actually comic book movies of, you know, the government created this and now it is turning itself back on the government. Like, right, chickens come home to roost. Mm-hmm. And and I think that 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 was an interesting concept. And I think that it played to Stallone's abilities, right? Because a master thespian, he is not. And of course, that first one had that theme of finding a way in the movies on the big screen to go back and win a war that we didn't win in the first place. But you're right. The character had so much more, so many more interesting edges. I brought up today on, again, on on the TV gig, one of my favorite movies, maybe my favorite movie of all time, is maybe? Die Hard. <laughs> and think of what happened to the character of John McClane over oh so many sequels. In the beginning, he was basically an everyman. Yeah, he was a cop, but he was an everyman caught without his shoes on yeah, yeah. in that incredible, dangerous situation. And that was so much of what made that movie work. And every sequel, he got just more and more of a... Of a one-note superhero. Yeah. Until the last one, it was just ridiculous. And that's what's happening here. That Anything that was interesting about that character on a deeper level is long gone. This one is as subtle as a sledgehammer. And unfortunately, just caters to the lowest hanging fruit, the, the lowest common denominator to just make brutality for brutality's sake and just have... Those fantasies, well, it's become its own fantasy, a Rambo fantasy of people who just go in there, guns blazing, That's right. and I'll take care of any situation, and it's oh, it's so tired and and so unwelcome, at least for us. Well, so the film itself is Taken. It's a very, very sloppy version of Taken meets Home Alone. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. uh, the thing... Because he has to rescue what she calls him Uncle John. We don't know exactly yeah, what the so relationship. Yeah, so she's the niece of what appears to be John's housekeeper mm. uh, and best friend. Because he's been living in Arizona all this time, On raising his horses. horse ranch. Yeah, yeah and, and she is about to graduate from high school, his sort of foster niece, Gabriella, and she wants to go to Mexico to find her deadbeat dad and just settle, you know, ask some questions before she leaves for college. And John Rambo and his housekeeper tell her not to do that because they understand how black a man's heart is and she doesn't. And this is the first sort of, and, and you know what, this is a common theme in, in films like this, including Taken, is when an adolescent girl decides that she has her own agency. Well, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is she's going to learn to listen to her father figure. Um, and this one, she certainly is repaid for believing in her own instincts. Yeah. And then what happens is she goes to Mexico and the, the country of Mexico is, aside from one individual, is just an undulating mass of thugs and gangbangers and rapists and human traffickers and drug dealers and then uh, a lot of carnage ensues, which is, here's the thing. The Rambo films are, they they go over the top with, with blood and gore and violence, and I fully expected that because that's, yeah. I'm not, I wasn't even particularly bothered necessarily by the fact that they did it because it is in keeping with the film franchise. And also, I'm not really bothered by on-screen gore because we are both, we're very big <laughs> fans of horror. Yeah. Now, here's one of the differences. Horror films, on the whole, 
you are you are ex- expected to recoil from the dismemberment, from the decapitations, from the castrations, from the gutting that you're looking at, and you're you're ideally. The films generally developed that that's why they're horror and you are rooting against it. This film and, you know, films like it, but this film in particular, you are championing exactly however horrific it can become. That's what you're applauding. What you are applauding is the violence. And I think um, besides the racism and the sexism, the, the fact that in this particular age, we're applauding one man gunning down as many people as he can find. That is beyond tone deaf to I me. I am so glad, though, that they're saving us from the movie The Hunt. I'm so glad they had the good sense <laughs> yeah. to take that out of circulation. That's right. And if you're not familiar with this little rant that we're having, uh, just a few weeks ago, Craig Zobel, a, a filmmaker that we very much like, was set to release a film called The Hunt, and uh, Hollywood deemed it unreleasable because they felt as if in this particular... It was af- after a recent... We have not seen it, we should say. We, we have not seen it. Uh, it was after a recent mass shooting, and they, they shelved the film because they felt like it was the wrong message right now. The basic plot of the film is that rich people kidnap poor people and rich people hunt the poor people down for sport. The poor people turn the tables, get the guns, and kill all the rich people. That was deemed unacceptable in this climate, but this movie where one white man guns down as many people as he can... And Mexicans. Mexicans exclusively. That's okay. That is such a... That is so ugly. It's the ugliest film, honestly, that I can remember seeing. And you know what else, on a different level, just on the the, uh, gender level, you were talking about the girls and their agency and things like that. It reminds me of the argument where politicians, when they're, they're trying to say how much they care about women's rights or whatever, a male politician will always say, look, I have a daughter. I have, well, that... That yeah. shouldn't be an issue. No. If, if you should be able to feel this without... It's only the fact that you have a daughter do you then transfer the fact that they're of worth. Because I have a daughter, and so, oh, and, you know, that always made me scratch my head. Yeah. And trying to get extra points there. Oh, he has a daughter. Yeah. This, this protective instinct that, you know... Uh, why doesn't she understand that if she just did what I told her to do? That's offensive. That's an offensive concept, that if it was his son... It'd be okay if he was branching out and trying to resolve his daddy issues. But this daughter, no, she should be sharpening her knife to keep the boys away. That's actually an earlier scene in the film, by mm-hmm. the way. Well, it's the only thing more disappointing is when I'm sure we see the box office results uh, over the weekend. It's probably going to make a boatload of money, which yeah. is really, really disappointing. As you can tell, we did not care. That's being polite for Rambo Last Blood. Oh, got a crazy one next. Animated anime, a futuristic firefighting mecha service is created to protect the world. Promare. This is nuts. We uh, had our this covered by one of our writers, Matt Wiener, at MadWolf.com, and he loved it. He did love it. So it's a movie that is, it knows what it is, and it is over the top. And it really, 
kind of glories in that. You know, I mean, the the color is over the top. The ideas are over the top. There's uh, it, there's a group of people who have to figure out how we can um, overcome this now 10-year phenomenon, 10-year-old phenomenon of people who uh, catch fire and cause fires. Who Burnish, yeah, the burnish. The burnish, they, they uh, combust. And, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating idea. It's a, it's a fun, nutty, very much global warming aware concept. And it's so weird. It's so colorful. It's so bold in the directions that it's taking. But also what it's saying is is we, we have to do it together. Yeah, and it it's really has a lot of, takes a lot of delight in spurning convention and at the same time throwing you a couple wink winks about oh, we know what we're doing yes, here and yes. just just enjoy it and it's frenetic and colorful and so angular in the animation and i guess it's the first um big feature outing for studio trigger who they've done some shorts some yeah. but this is their first feature length film yeah very very promising uh, debut for that especially if you're fans of anime and to get the full uh, background of it and the full review you can check out the thoughts of our matt wiener at madwolf.com and that's pro Mayor. And I think this week could use some Nicolas Cage. What? Be- we couldn't. Before we're done, how about the CEO of an international conglomerate sends two of his most regarded executives to investigate why shipments of cocaine are being hijacked and overcut somewhere on the supply chain? It's Nick Cage in Running with the Devil. That's the second load now. It's been light and overcut. I'm aware. This is your territory. It's your responsibility. Did you fix the problem? So you're a big-time player now. It's a big boat you're rocking. As long as we've been fighting it, nothing has changed. Have you lost your mind? You have gambled. You have lost. It's over. This is one of those mid-budget action movies Limited release, and I'm kind of surprised that it's not one of those films that was simultaneously released to to theater and to VOD. It does have a pretty amazing cast given, right? So it's Nicolas Cage, although as much as we all love Nick Cage, he will be in any movie that you offer him. (laughs) Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is also in it. Barry Pepper is in it. Leslie Bibb. Writer, director. Jason Cabell. Thank you. Jason Cabell. He thinks he's very clever, in particular with the names that he gives his characters, because his characters are named Agent in Charge, The Cook. Number one, and uh, and but it, it's funny because it, it doesn't really go anywhere with ha- that sort of cleverness. For example, Nick Cage is the cook because he, in his downtime, when he's not chasing down uh, poorly cut cocaine, he runs a he's a chef. But um, when you think about that, drug cartels, the cook, you think meth. Yeah. Um, it, it, none of it really pans out, and that is symptomatic of the entire film. None of it really makes that much sense. Uh, it's a lot of attitude and very little substance. And so I think that a lot of times you can, you can, you can make it through a movie like that when Nick Cage is in it because you can just expect at least there's going to be these weird unhinged Nick Cage right. moments, which is sort of a catch twenty two because if you're in it and you're okay, okay I'm going to check this out because you're waiting for that moment. He's going to go. He's just going to go all Nick Cage, and that's an expectation that may or may not benefit the movie. No, you're exactly right. And the other thing that I think is interesting in terms of the casting is that that role, that unhinged Nick Cage role, went to Fishburne. Yeah. And he does a great job with it. He does. But but the whole time I'm thinking to myself, this should be more interesting and clever that they decided to swap those right. roles. Right. Uh, and I do think that Fishburne 
brought something in the absolutely, you know, batshit character. It's just that Cage, when you when you put him in a role where he's supposed to be more or less normal, I don't think he has any idea how normal people behave. <laughs> so he, he can't act it, you know? <laughs> it reminds me of a, few, of a few years ago, that movie Sisters, where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, yeah. they basically swapped the yeah. roles that they usually play. Right. Not that it was bad, but you could tell it just, it just seemed a little off. Yeah. I mean, Tina Fey just seemed to be like almost having a hard time keeping a straight face because, look, I'm being naughty right. when she doesn't usually. Yeah. You know, it was still very funny, though. In fact, half of that movie is a riot. Anyway, <laughs> Running with the Devil, Nick Cage. If, uh, if you're in the mood for that Nick Cage craziness, there it is. Oh, we come to the lobby with uh, just a couple. Dark Phoenix, the latest in the X-Men franchise. It sunk pretty quickly. It really did. And, uh, yeah, that's it kind of deserved to. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, it really, I think, missed a lot of opportunities. And it had a great cast, including including Jessica Chastain, who's, who's wildly underused. Oh, he was of course. Back. I thought it had really one set piece on the train there of yep. some decent action. But on the whole, it was still is this never-ending quest to try to make the character of Jean Grey interesting. <laughs> and as of yet, they haven't done it. No. I mean, really, I, I say that. It'll, it's never going to happen. Well, anything can happen with the correct writing. Right. It just doesn't happen. No. It's just, it's just not there. It's not interesting at all. And uh, really not worth checking out. Also, Wild Rose is out this week. This is a fun one. It's about a country singer in Scotland. And she's Scotland. really living the old style, you know, sort of Johnny Cash country life, uh, Loretta Lynn kind of country life. And it's it's her quest to make it in Nashville. And it's uh, it's really well made. It's a, it's a very entertaining film. Yeah, especially if you like the classic, the traditional country. That's right. Uh, that's in the lobby, just those two. Next week, we're looking forward to Judy. The Judy Garland biopic with Renee Zellweger. Yeah. See how that goes. Abominable. Yeah. New family animated film. Also a documentary uh, I've already seen, very interesting, called Aquarella, about the shapes of water. Interesting. Yeah. The and another documentary, right? Raise Hell, oh, The yeah. Life and Times of Molly Ivins. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, definitely. And what is The Day Shall Come? I don't know. We'll All find right. out. Well, The Day Shall Come when we see it. <laughs> And then we'll tell you. Until then, uh, let us know what you thought about this week's offerings. If you think we are totally off track about Rambo, all right, we'll listen. We'll listen. Let us know. What do you think? <laughs> it's e always easy to find us on Twitter. That is at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, on Facebook and Instagram. It's MadWolfColumbus. And as we said, the main website for all of our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That can all be found at madwolf.com. Always love when you stop by the screening room. And thank you for listening. If you would, take a second to subscribe, rate, and review. We would appreciate it. All right. Until next week, get in touch if you can. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. The Downton Abbey. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.